Okay, do you, do you all remember a few weeks ago when I did the trust fall off the stage? Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, for those of you who, who were not here, uh, what I was trying to do was illustrate that faith, like a trust fall, is, is, is how Scripture speaks about faith. Uh, it's this combination of knowledge, agreement, and trust. It's putting all of your eggs in a particular basket, and what we've been doing over these last few weeks is we've look, been looking at, at uh, the basics of Christian belief. What are these things that we are trust falling into? And we've spent time looking at God, looking at our sin problem, and then last week we looked at Jesus, the, the solution. And the way that we receive that solution is, is grace through faith. But, but here's the question that I want us to wrestle with tonight. Is that all there is? Is this the totality of our response? Is there more to faith than a date in our lives where we can look back and say, I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to be my Savior? And by the way, I'm framing those questions. You should be able to tell I believe the answer is yes. And so tonight, what we're going to do is look at what our ongoing response to the gospel is. And to do that, uh, we're turning our attention to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and we're going to look at how faith plays itself out in our lives, okay? And as we journey toward that, we're going to look at, at three things. I want us to look at the scope of faith, uh, the confusion that surrounds faith, and then the completion of faith, okay? Now, one of the things that, that I and many admire about the apostle James is that he just gets straight to the point. Uh, rarely are you ever confused about what James is trying to communicate, and that, that's especially true here in our text this evening. Uh, James has noted that something is lacking in the faith of his audience, which he refers to as works. Now, depending on your, your upbringing or your educational context, uh, you may know that James is often pitted against the Apostle Paul. People say they, they're saying contradictory things. We're not going to dive into all that tonight. Let me just say uh, that's not true. And, and the conflict typically boils down to them using the same word, but meaning different things by that word. For example, works. Uh, when, when the Apostle Paul talks about works, it's typically something that, that you or I would do to justify ourselves, to make us right or acceptable to God. But when James uses works, he, he's not talking about something that makes us right with God. Uh, works are simply actions done in obedience to God. In other words, works aren't the cause, they are the effect. And so in, in our text, James is noting this incongruency between the faith his audience claims to have and their actions. And he uses a rather generic example uh, to highlight this incongruency. He says, you know, there are among you those who are poor. They don't have the most basic necessities of, of food and clothes, and you all act very religious toward them. You know, you, you use the appropriate Christian greeting, which in the first century was, peace be with you. And, and you know, you tell them that you will pray for them, you will pray that they will be warmed and well-fed, and your response is very spiritual, and it sounds really good. But then you do nothing about their situation. Even though God's law can be summarized like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And he asked them, what good is that faith? And of course, he answers the question for them. He says that a faith like that 
is dead. And I want the weight of that to sink in. He says that faith without works is dead. It is ineffective. It is useless. It is not alive. It will not save you. And that creates a lot of confusion around what faith is. Um, and that confusion typically manifests itself in one of two extremes. On the one hand, we have uh, what we could call the belief alone extreme. Uh, and, and this is where people think that if I believe the right things, if, if I affirm the correct things, that's what matters. And that's what James's imaginary opponent says in our text. No, James, I, I do believe. My actions don't matter. It's my belief that counts. And maybe you've heard a version or two of that before. You know, I've, I've prayed the prayer. I've used the correct language or formula, so I'm, I'm saved. It doesn't matter how I'm living my life right now. Or um, uh, we're not woke and concerned about social issues. We believe in the Bible, or um, I believe that marriage is between Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those statements. Prayer is good. Uh, all, the, all those things are good. But what each of those statements are is an identity marker. It's saying that because I hold this belief, because I affirm this statement to be true, that's proof that my faith is genuine. And, and while belief in the right things is, in fact, important. It's not the whole picture. It's not the whole equation, which, which James makes clear with what is arguably the most sarcastic statement in all of Scripture in verse 19. You believe in God. Good for you. Even the demons do that. And what he's saying is it, it doesn't matter if you know the answer to every catechism question we go over or if you can regurgitate Scripture or, or, or facts about biblical times Faith without works is useless, which causes some to swing over to the other extreme, something we could call uh, debtor's guilt. Let me illustrate what I mean by that. Uh, about a month ago, Emma and I took a whirlwind trip uh, to cross an item off of Em's bucket list, which was to hike Pike's Peak without any training whatsoever. Uh, now, if you know me at all, you know I am what some would call indoorsy. And uh, this hike was arguably the hardest thing physically I have ever done. Uh, and, and so needless to say, when we got home, she was very appreciative. And we were also very tired. And, and so she said something along these lines. I know, uh, I know we're going to be tired in the next couple of weeks. And inevitably, we are going to have some random, meaningless fight. And so if that happens, I just want you to say, Pike's Peak. And you will win and it will be done. Now, why would she say that? Well, because she owes me. <laughs> That was a crazy trip. I did a very big thing for her, and so she feels like she owes me. Now, take that and apply it to how God has acted towards us. God has done a gigantic thing for us. He's paid off our unpayable debt. We no longer have to go to hell because of him. But then when Scripture talks about doing these good works, it feels like we owe God, like we are obligated to do these things because of what he has done for us. It's like, no, no, I'll, I'll obey my parents. After all, you, you did save me from eternal damnation, I guess. And so we try to add these works to our lives because we think we have to. And, but that's not saving faith either. And there's several indicators that we could draw out 
that, that show we're living at, with debtor's guilt. But let me, let me just highlight two of them. Uh, first, when you do good works, they are done joylessly, especially if no one notices them. You're doing the right things, but you'd rather not, especially when it doesn't seem to benefit you. Uh, another indicator is you compare yourself and your good works to others. You are constantly looking at the choices of others to see if you are being more obedient. And, and, and you're, you frequently point out the differences between you and them because you're trying to get noticed. You're trying to, to establish that that you're paying off the debt. And what I want us to see is that regardless of which extreme you drift toward, at the end of the day, it's your contribution that matters. Whether it's believing the right things or doing the right things, ultimately, what you do is what's justifying you before God. See, don't you see at either extreme, you are trust-falling into yourself. And James is warning us, that's not going to work. That type of faith that is centered on you and what you can do is useless. It's incomplete. And so what then completes faith? And what James has been trying to get through throughout this passage is, is this the coupling of faith and works that testifies to a, a complete faith. And it's very important to understand how that plays out, how that works. That's why James gives us two examples. We'll look at the first one, and then you can look at the second one during your small group. So the first one is Father Abraham. Now, if you aren't familiar with Abraham, he's the father of the Jewish people, and God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. Uh, of course, Abraham uh, would have just been content with one, and he had to wait until he was 100 years old for the promised heir. But then God instructs Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac, which Abraham almost does before the Lord stops him. And, and James tells us in verse 21 that Abraham was justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. And it sounds like he's saying Abraham's faith was, was completed when he did this specific work, when, when he added this action to his belief. That's not what justified means here. When, when James uses justified, he means it proves something. It, it demonstrates something. And so we have to ask the question, what did Abraham's work prove? What did it demonstrate and, and you really have to know Abraham's story to answer that question. See, see, when Abraham walks up the mountain with his son, ready to sacrifice his son, almost going through with it until God stops him, God actually tells him the reason why he intervenes. He says, now I know. Now you have proven that you fear God, that you love me above all else because you did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. That's the only explanation for why Abraham would do something as radical as that. It's not because he had the correct theology of the resurrection. It's not because he feels like he owes God. It's actually because he loves God, because he desires more of God, and that desire leads him to please God even if it is costly. Which makes sense if you have ever watched someone who has been in love. 
You ever watch someone who has been in love, nothing they do for their significant other is a chore. It's not work. Why? Be- because they, that person is the, the most beautiful, wonderful thing to them. Their actions, their works are simply an expression of their love for that person. And what James is saying is that true faith, faith that works, is a faith that has grasped God's love for you. And that knowledge and experience of God's love for you generates the desire and the means to do these good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so really the million-dollar question for us is why should we love God that way? It's because God the Father walked up a mountain with his son. He sacrificed his son. He went through with it. And when, when we look at God sacrificing his son on our behalf, it allows us to say, and now I know that you love me, for you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love for me. That's the only way that our faith will do the work. It's when we grasp that. And so let's, let's land the plane here. We are saved by faith alone. We don't add anything to it that somehow makes it effective. But, but true faith never remains alone. We are saved by faith alone, but true faith never remains alone. It always works itself out in our actions. And, and so how do we respond to the gospel? We look fully at what God, through Jesus, has done for us. We, we drink in the love and affection he has showered on us, and we let that flow out of us in joyful response. <music>